Well, if you have your Bible, then we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, you'll maybe know that uh, the writer to the the Hebrews uh, wrote this uh, letter, if we can call it that. Um, he, He wrote this letter because many Christians were at the point of giving up. Uh, Jesus had prophesied, remember, that the temple would be torn down and come to ruins. And that hadn't happened yet. And uh, if we can use a secular sort of phrase, they wondered whether they'd backed the wrong horse. Uh, Had they made a mistake? And uh, what made it worse for them was that, that the temple was still functioning and it was very visible and very grand. And... They couldn't see their God. And it was very tempting just to go back the way. I wonder if there's somebody here and you feel you're slipping back the way. I, I hope that what I think of today will help you. Let's just read from uh, Hebrews chapter 9. And we're just going to break into uh, the argument of the letter at verse uh, 24, where we read this. In comparison with the, the priests who were operating in the temple, still going in with the sacrifices of animals and so on. Hebrews 9 verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then Jesus would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Well, amen, and may God bless us this reading of his word and may give us understanding of it and to his name be the praise and the glory. I'm just going to take this off of here. It's not that I particularly want to be seen, but all you'll be seeing is a head as I I stand behind uh, there. I was uh, saying at the the men's meeting that happened here not long ago that uh, I've been ill, actually uh, very ill, for quite a few years. And it's only a few months ago that I've started to uh, preach again. And when I first started to preach, I could only preach for 10 minutes. And you might be uh, hoping 45 minutes from now that these days were still there. But uh, when I started to preach, I had to sit down. And the amazing thing is this, that when I sit down, when I stand up in the same height, it's absolutely (laughs) amazing. So uh, if I have to sit down, which is unlikely uh, during this sermon, uh, then uh, don't worry. It will happen seamlessly. You'll not notice any difference in uh, height. 
But it's lovely to be here with you. I love being here for the men's gathering, uh, not so terribly long ago. Didn't expect to get an invitation uh, back so uh, quickly. I, I just love the feel of this place. And when I, I say that, I don't just mean an emotional feel. I, I mean the fact that God is here and he's at work. And he's at work in your lives and he's at work through your lives. And so it's always glorious uh, to be preaching in a place where God is at work and where God is welcome and where his Holy Spirit is uh, indeed welcome. Uh, I love the worship when I was here and I love uh, hearing Graham leading uh, worship uh, again this morning. And uh, I, I play the piano a wee bit, not as proficiently as that. And it always amazes me the way that folk can just move up and down keys. You know, any time I'm in church and somebody asks for a change of key. Uh, I, I play the piano a wee bit, as I say, but I couldn't change a key for the life of me uh, to save myself. I just have to play in whatever it's written. My musical career uh, began when I was five. And uh, we had what was called a chassophone class. Have any of you ever heard of that? Well, I'd never heard of it, and I've tried to look it up on the internet before coming here and couldn't find it. But chassophone was a French name, and this was a particular approach to music, and the idea was it was to train your ear and to get you used to the sense of rhythm. And, uh, of course, at five years old, we weren't playing any, uh, uh, you know, real musical instruments, as it were, just percussive things, although they're real enough, but things like drums and triangles and cymbals and things like that. And at the end of the first year, we had a... We had a concert, and of course all the parents came and were thrilled with all their wee ones up making this probably quite hideous noise, actually. And uh, I, my mother was so proud, I was the conductor at five years old. And I can't remember the tune that we played, but I do remember, uh, I didn't exactly look like Andre Previn or anything like that. I do remember it was just three beats. And for about five minutes, I just stood like a robot, just going. (laughs) It's all I did. But, you know, in my mum's eye, I was just a hero. And it was just absolutely wonderful. Uh, I have to say, if if it's not sort of building myself up too much, I, I did manage to hold things together. And we all began at the right moment, and we ended at the right moment, even if there was a bit of waywardness in between. I I want to suggest to you this morning three beats that will help you keep on track with God. Satan loves just to breathe into our lives all sorts of distracting sounds that confuse us. I don't mean physical sounds, although he can use that as well. I just mean the noise of life. Things that happen to us, things that go on in life in general, and it's so easy just to begin to lose our way. And I want to suggest to you three beats from Hebrews chapter 9 that we actually read this morning that I hope will help you just to stay on track. And if you don't need these today, there might come a day when you do need them and you might remember these three very simple beats that I'm going to, with the help of God and God willing, lay before you this morning. 
And the three beats I want to suggest to you, I wonder if you noticed this as we were reading the passage. Did you know that there was three appearings of Christ on our behalf? When I converted as a teenager, I thought there was only one appearing of Christ. Then I started to read the Bible and found there was going to be another appearing of Christ at the end of time. But did you notice in our reading from Hebrews chapter 9 that we read of three appearings of Christ? And these are the three beats that will actually help to keep us going and keep us steady when Satan tries to knock us off course and discourage us and make us fall down flat or even make us feel, I feel like giving up. And let me just remind you what these three beats, these three appearings are. We're going to go with them time-wise rather than verse-wise. What's the first appearing of Christ? Well, look there halfway through verse 26. Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's the first appearing. What's the second appearing of Jesus? Well, look back up to where we began, verse 24. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, our behalf. That's the second appearing. What's the third appearing? Well, let's go on to verse 28. Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, will appear again. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I want to look at these three appearings of Jesus that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 9. So first of all, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Isn't it wonderful that as we gather here in the name of Jesus, this is what we believe above and beyond all things. This is surely what unites every believer, that this is the wonderful news that we've discovered. That we don't need to climb a ladder to God. That Christ has appeared. He's come all the way down from heaven to us. He appeared to put away our sin. I wonder if you've ever thought how wonderful it is to have somebody do something for you that you could just never ever do for yourself. When I was training to be a minister, our uh, practical theology professor was a man called Murdo Ewan MacDonald. And uh, he was from the islands, he was from Harris. And he was actually a prisoner of war in the prisoner of war camp that the Great Escape was made from. And uh, he knew people that were involved in that. He buried many people that were shot by the Nazis, so many. There's a photograph of him officiating at the funeral of 30 people at once. He has no memory of it. It was so horrific. But you know, it tells of a time when D-Day was happening and uh, there was a man in the American sector of the camp who spoke 
uh, Gaelic. And obviously Murdo Ewan from Harris spoke Gaelic. The American side of the camp had a radio. What would happen is that the American who spoke Gaelic would come and stand near the fence between the American sector and the British sector of the camp and he would shout over the news in Gaelic. And you know they brought in language experts from all over Germany and nobody could understand what this language was. And one day this American, they'd been listening to the radio and he came to the wire and he just shouted over two words to murder Ewan. Just shouted out, they've come. They've come. <coughs> and Marduin went into the barracks or the, the, the hut, whatever it was called. <coughs> he just said the same two words. <coughs> Pardon me. He just said, they've come. He said there was silence, an incredible silence. For a couple of minutes. And then it was as though there was a conductor in the room because after the couple of minutes intense profound silence, folks started to leap in the air and hug one another. And some were sitting the tears rolling down their faces and others were laughing almost hysterically. So great was their joy. Grown men. That's the effect. When you hear that somebody has done something for you. To bring you freedom. You could never ever do for yourself. How could any one of us here atone for our own sins? We can't do it. But Jesus came. Do you know what the Bible says? It says he became a curse for us. To curse is to speak bad things over people. Benediction, which is what many people do at the end of a service. You know, something like the grace of the Lord Jesus, you know. The, the love of God and, and so on be with you. Benedicto means to speak good things. One of the things that we used to do in our congregation at a time of baptism <coughs> or sometimes when folk were maybe going away in some type of service overseas or whatever. We would use the ironic blessing, not the ironic blessing. The Aaronic blessing, Aaronic blessing, Aaron's blessing that he was given to speak over Israel. Do you remember what it was? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have you ever thought what a curse would be like? This is what God said to his son on the cross. The Lord curse you and damn you. 
Lord cast you aside as not wanted. The Lord judge you and pour out his wrath upon you. The Lord turn his back on you forever. The Lord not give you peace, but torment, <coughs> awful, agonizing torment of spirit, soul, and body. Do you remember Christ's agony in Gethsemane? Before the agony of the cross. It says he was deeply disturbed. He was distressed. You know what these words can mean? They can mean he was astonished. He was amazed. As it began to strike him. What it would cost him the Holy One. To take away our sin. But because he has been cursed, we can be blessed. In fact, why don't we bless one another now? Take hold of somebody's hand beside you. And you can repeat the blessing just sentence by sentence after me. If you're really liberated, look into their eyes as you say it. And say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Friends, we've offered blessing to one another. The blessing of God. And we can do that because Jesus was cursed. But blessing has to be received. I wonder, is there somebody here who is maybe unwilling to receive that blessing? That might be shyness. But I'm wondering if there's somebody who's not yet received the blessing of forgiveness that's not yet reconciled to God who made his son a curse for you so that you could have eternal life. Do you know how undignified God is prepared to be? This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I'm an ambassador of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. And then he says this, as though God himself was begging you through me. I beg you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made him sin. We knew sin. That we.
we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, I don't know this congregation. You might all be saved. As a preacher of the gospel, I'm answerable for your blood. Is there somebody here who's not yet a Christian? Would God beg you? Can you imagine it? Almighty God, kneeling before you, saying, I beg you, be reconciled to me. I don't know how anyone can go home and put their head in the pillow and sleep in peace. I took a heart attack through the night. About a year ago or a bit more than that. The doctors told me I'd already had one before that. I don't remember anything of that. Must have happened in my sleep. How do you know if you're going to wake up before tomorrow morning comes? Are you willing to gamble your eternal destiny? The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Tomorrow doesn't belong to any of us. Because here's the alternative. If you'll not receive the blessing, then you'll live under the curse eternally. And one day Christ himself will say, Depart from me, you cursed. Depart from me. I turn my back on you. I pronounce judgment over you. I turn my face away from you forever. Go into eternal torment. Into the very fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Since before the foundation of the world. He became a curse. So that you and I would not be cursed eternally. Do you hear that first beat? His first appearing. Let me remind you what it says. He's appeared once for all, never needs to be done again, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now let's go on to the second appearing. Do you remember we read about Christ appearing now? And where does he appear now? In the presence of God on our behalf. What does the Bible say he's doing there? Interceding. 
That would mean praying. Do you know that Jesus is doing nothing else? Between now until he brings the very last person home who's trusted in him. He's doing nothing else. But bringing us to glory by his prayers. I've heard so many people that claim to have visited heaven. Here's the reason why I don't believe many of them. They've never once, I can't think of a single testimony that I saw Jesus and he's praying for us. According to my Bible, it's all he's doing. He's become a high priest forever. He's continually praying for you and for me. If you want to know what he's praying, well, here's what I suggest you do. Go home and read John chapter 17. That's sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer. Do you remember that Jesus says, Father, I'm coming to you. And I'm leaving these disciples in the world. And I'm praying for them, Father. Being number one, that you'll keep them didn't want any of his people to be lost do you remember he says in John 6 this charge I've received from the father that of all those whom he has given me I will lose none and he says father I've lost none other than the son of perdition Judas that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So he prays that we'll be kept until we enter glory. <coughs> he says, Father, I'm not praying that you'll lift them out of this world with all its difficulty. <coughs> but Father, keep them from the evil one. Don't let him triumph. Father, keep them by the power of your word. Help them to give attention to your word, to live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Keep them one with you and with me. Cement them into that bond of love by which you say to me, you are my son whom I love and you bring me great joy. Keep them unified with that love. If you want to know what else he prays, look at the Lord's Prayer. I heard a Bible teacher saying not long ago, we shouldn't say it's the Lord's Prayer because Jesus could never pray it. Forgive us our sins. That is nonsense. He has no understanding at all of what it means to be a high priest. When the high priest was praying, he would have on his very breast stones on which were marked the names of the tribes of Israel. 
He would carry them in his heart. The, the names were in his shoulders as well. He would bear them in his shoulders. If you had listened in to Jesus praying on earth, he is so one with his people in their weakness and their frailty. This is how you would have heard him pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Father, I see what Peter's done. I see what John has done. Father, will you forgive us? Father, will you give us this day our daily bread? He's one with us in sympathy and understanding. And that is the sympathy and understanding that is before the throne of God. And it is so real. Remember the kingdom of heaven is near to us. That's not far away spiritually. It's right beside us. And you can feel the effect of that intercession. Let me give you an example of what it feels like to have a sympathetic high priest. That the Bible says that high priests had to be gentle. Did you know that? <coughs> gentle in their dealings. Because in their humanness they know weakness. They should remember that as they're ministering and praying for people in their need. What does it feel like to have a high priest interceding for us, close to us, because his kingdom is near to us? Let me tell you a story about a lady in Thurso. When I first met her, she'd been in and out of psychiatric hospitals all her life. All her life. And I was there at home in her home one night with her husband. And she said, you know, there's something happened to me and I just can't remember what it was and she was getting distressed and I just felt the gentleness of Jesus being with us and I said Jesus is here with us and when he's here it's safe to remember and in less than a second she said I remember and she remembered her own mother abused, abusing her physically. And particularly, a particular incident that was so severe, she was terrified and she thought she was going to die. And shouted out as she remembered, it was her eyes, it was her eyes, it was the look in her eyes. And God said, that's where you begin. We prayed about the look in our mother's eyes. As we did that, the lady herself just fell asleep. And she, she just started to moan slightly. And she woke up. And all that fear had gone. It's the interesting thing. Her mother phoned up the next day to say, See, since last night, I've been having trouble with my eyes. I don't know what's happening to them. Let me tell you how the story developed. She was free from the demonic side of that problem. 
But just because we're set free in an instant from a demonic influence doesn't mean there's not emotional healing still needed. So let me tell you how the story progressed. I was praying with her again. And again, her husband was there. And I saw a picture. Well, a vision. It was something in my spirit, as it were. And I simply saw Jesus. I saw this lady, as it were, as a seven-year-old girl sitting on the floor, abandoned and alone. And the look in her eyes was saying, I don't understand what's happening. This shouldn't be happening to a child like me. And in the picture, Jesus simply came and he sat beside her and he did nothing. He just was looking with exactly the same sense of bewilderment. This should never happen to a wee girl. This should never happen to a child. That I made. That I breathed life into. And that picture remained with the lady for several weeks. Simply Jesus, her gentle high priest who was praying for her, <coughs> sitting in sympathy and empathy. And then a few weeks later, the picture changed. And it was as though Jesus was a workman. He stood up from the floor he spat in his hands and rubbed them and rubbed them in his overalls, as it were. And he stretched down his hand to her and said, Right, let's get you out of here. And he did get her out of there. Spat in his hand because he wanted her to know I won't lose my grip of you until you're out of this. I'll not lose my grip until I bring you home to my father. Until that day when all God's children are safely gathered in. And I'll knock on heaven's door. And the Father will answer and I'll say, Here I am, Father. And look. Here's all the children you gave me. I held on to every one of them. Just as I prayed that you would keep them, I've kept them. Not one of them is missing. You know, one of the first, in fact, the very first, he must have been astonished. The dying thief, 
Today he will be with me in paradise. The minute we die, our spirit is with the Lord. Our bodies await resurrection. But we're with the Lord. Looking on, everybody thinks we're sleeping. But we're with the Lord. In no interval of time. Can you imagine what it was like for the dying thief? As he walked into the corridors of heaven and held the angel, heard the angels and the saints of the Old Testament hanging over the battlements and praising Jesus. He must have thought at that moment, Lord, I'll just slip into the crowd. This belongs to you. And Jesus kept his grip said, did I not tell you today you would be with me? You would go towards the Father say, Father, here I am. And the first of the children you've given me. He appeared once to take sin away. He appears now in the presence of God, praying that we'll be kept, empathizing with us as a sympathetic, empathetic high priest who shares our weaknesses because he became a human being. What about the third beat that we need to hold on to? What did we read? Just towards the end of our reading, he'll appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Friends, we live in a mystery at the moment, and it's the mystery, if we can put it like this, the already here, but not yet kingdom of God. Jesus came into the world and he said, the kingdom of heaven is close to you. It's not all at the end of time. And as a sign of that, he did things that people thought would only come at the end of time. He heals the sick. He casts out the demons. He tells good things to the poor. The kingdom of heaven is close. It's near to you right now. It's not all future. But here's the other thing. It's not all now. It's not all now. Have you ever wondered why you pray and sometimes somebody is healed? Why does that happen? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. You ever wondered why you pray and they're not healed? Because the kingdom of heaven is still coming. And will come. And all the promises of God will be fulfilled. Whether in time or in eternity, they're all yea and amen in Jesus Christ. So many people have prayed for my healing. 
I'm a lot better than I am, but my lungs, according to every measurement, are getting worse. That rocks some people's faith. It doesn't move my faith one iota. I know by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. I just don't know if that healing is coming now or it's coming at the end of all things when Christ comes again. I had a lovely dream the other night and it was a dream of cakes of God's promises. And I saw them in heaven's oven. And they were rising. And some of them I could see were going to be ready soon. And others I was going to have to wait for. But they would all rise. Because God cannot lie. When he comes again, what will happen? We'll see him as he is. You know what the Bible says? We'll be like him. Isn't that amazing? In in a moment of time, however far, however dilatory we've been in our walk here, when we see him, we'll be like him. Number two. You'll see one another for who we really are. C.S. Lewis says, if we could see who we really are in God, if we could see now what we'll see one day, we'd be strongly tempted to fall down before one another and worship one another. I'm watching my mum coming towards the end of her life. And the Bible says the end of our life, it's marked by frailty, it's marked by weakness. It's almost marked by dishonour that somebody made by God should become perhaps racked with illness or weakness or even pain. But one day, All sin, all wrong will be gone. God will wipe away every tear. You know what I'm thinking as I I sit with my mum now in total silence, more or less? You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, mum, do I really know you? I know you've loved me and I've loved you but do I really know you you've thought that about your husband your wife your mother your father and it's not because of an absence of love 
It's just we realise that there are depths to human beings. In eternity, when we're made like Christ, can you imagine what an eternity of fascination there will be in one another? And many are in this place, is it 50, 60? I don't know. 50 or 60 unfathomable people to get to know for all eternity. Rome will be right when Aslan comes inside. At the sound of his roar, sorrow will be no more. When he bears teeth, winter meets his death. And when he aches his mane, we'll have spring again. Not every believer believes exactly the same ordering of things when Christ comes again. Let's not go down that route. We'll see him as he is. We'll be who we're always meant to be before circumstances or other people or we ourselves messed it up. And wrong will be right. you've ever wondered but why is it that people who love you and serve you they often seem to suffer more than the unbeliever who doesn't give you a thought you need to look on to the end of the story it's not over till it's over close with this story there was a missionary Coming home from service, he'd lost his wife, he'd lost his children as he served the Lord abroad. And he arrived home in America and the president was getting off the boat. He'd been away in his uh, hunting trip, would it be Teddy Roosevelt, I suppose. And there was bands there to meet the president, not a single soul to meet the missionary. He was whisked off to some reception in luxury. The missionary went to the cheapest bed and breakfast he could find. Flea-ridden bed. He knelt by his bed and he said, Lord, I'm not complaining, but I just don't understand. I've given my life for you. My children for you. My wife. My health. I don't understand. He felt God's hand just coming down and resting upon him. Saying, but missionary, you're not home yet. Wrong will be right. And we'll say what many have had the faith to say over the centuries. That Jesus does all things well. Not over. There's a wedding, there's a feast. We can go there. Because of you, Lord, all our sins are washed away. We can live forever.
now we have this hope. Hope's a wonderful thing. Who hopes for what they can see? We don't see it yet. But it's certain. Because the promises of God are like silver, refined in a furnace seven times. They're pure. You can depend upon them. Three beats. He appeared once to take away sin. Friend, are you reconciled to God? Or are you still under God's curse? He appears now in the presence of God, praying for you with such love and understanding and gentleness because he knows what it is to be human. And he will appear at the end of time. Our citizenship is in heaven. We don't really belong here. And from there, we await a saviour who will come and change our lowly bodies into the likeness of his glorious body by the power by which he subjects all things to himself. Father, I simply pray whatever you would do, whatever word would bring us freedom, whatever beat we need to hear, may it sound in our hearts, may it sound in our minds for the rest of this day. May not find rest until we do something with what we've heard. Because then we'll enter into your rest. Rest from our sins. Rest even in the midst of our struggles. And rest as we consider the confusing things of this world. Because we know it's all going to pan out right in the end. Because you're God. And Jesus does all things well. May we look forward to the feast. Eternal joy in the presence of the Lord. The shining of his glory. His will be the, the light that fills the universe. He's taking us all there. He's going to say, every one of us here that trusts in him, Father, I didn't lose one of them. I didn't lose one of them. I'm bringing back to you those that you gave to me. Fill our hearts with that hope. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.